to Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was ruler over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of, of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turned my attention to the Lord God, to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Our Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, in all the countries where you have dispersed them because of the disloyalty they have shown towards you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us so great a disaster that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not appeased the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Show your favour to your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city called by your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before Yahweh, my God, concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time in, of the evening offering. 
He gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it. For you are treasured by God, so consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to wipe out iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, will be seven weeks, seven, seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. After those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming prince will destroy the city of, and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end, there will be war. Desolations are decreed. He will make a firm covenant and with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed des destruction is poured out on the desolator. This is the word of the Lord. Would have been so easy if Tim didn't read the bit about the desolator. It's so confusing. Uh, we need God's help, don't we, when we come to his word. We believe that all scripture is God-breathed, and so we want to wrestle with this, and we want to find out what God has to say to us. So let's ask God's help as we come to hear from him. Father, the disciples of your son Jesus came to him and asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's our prayer now, that you would teach us to pray. And that you would show us how your answers are bigger than our imaginations, bigger than our dreams. And all your answers find their fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ. So glorify him as we learn from you tonight. Amen. Well, we all want to pray big prayers, don't we? Big prayers that, that get big answers. Uh, the, uh, that, that, that notion of unanswered prayers, of praying big things to God and them falling on deaf ears can be one of the great sadnesses of the Christian life. I, I lose count of the number of times people say to me, uh, I, I would trust in God, but I prayed and prayed and nothing ever happened. It, it sort of fell on, on deaf ears. When I was 15 years old, my auntie was diagnosed with terminal bowel cancer. And I would pray to devote my rowing races to God uh, that I would win my races so that that would be a sign uh, that my auntie would get better. Well, I never failed, I failed to, to win those races. Uh, and sadly, my auntie didn't win her battle with cancer. And uh, for many People, you may have felt the pangs and the pains of unanswered prayer. But here in Daniel chapter 9, we've got one of the biggest prayers in the Bible. One of the great prayers in Scripture, a big prayer that gets a big answer from God. An answer that comes to him from an angel, the angel Gabriel. And so we've got a lot that we can learn from Daniel's prayer. I want to... I want to show us four things from Daniel's prayer and then look at God's answer. But the big idea that we want to explore tonight is that if we want to pray big prayers that get big answers, 
then let your prayers be shaped by the Word of God. Big prayers that get big answers are prayers shaped by God's big Word. Well, let's have a look at Daniel's prayer. It'd be great if you do have it open in front of you. It's page 823 in your Bibles, Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Uh, Whenever the Bible gives us a time marker, uh, that is, tells us where in history we're situated, uh, it's worth asking why we're getting that. So the chapter begins in the first year of Darius. Well, who was Darius? It tells us he was a Mede. Uh, That is times have changed. Uh, he was one of the Mede, uh, one of the kings of the Median and Persian Empire. So the Babylonian Empire, remember that the ones who had brought Daniel and his friends, uh, deported them out of Jerusalem, they had fallen. Uh, times were changing. There was change in the air. Uh, historically, um, there was it, it was time for things to, to move. There was opportunity for movement. Perhaps Daniel was looking at the times and thinking, Perhaps now is the time for us to return to the city we were taken from. Well, Daniel wasn't just reading the times, but he was also reading God's word. Verse 2 goes on to tell us that he was reading the prophet of Jeremiah. He says, in that year, as I read from the prophet of Jeremiah, I realized that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. It is right. Uh, Daniel sets a great example for us that our prayers flow out, uh, come out of time spent in the Word of God. And that's our first observation of Daniel's prayers, that his prayers flow out of time in God's Word. Uh, At the start of this year, I really wanted uh, our Bible study group to prioritize prayer, our, our hive group. And so I thought, well, let's put prayer at the start before we even get stuck into our, our Bible time. Uh, I found that our prayers, well, uh, to be honest, we were sort of, you know, praying uh, sort of shopping list prayers. We were bringing before God uh, our concerns, our health, our, our work. I realized that actually rather to shift our prayers to after we'd spent time in the Word of God meant that we let God shape the prayers that we prayed. Uh, we'd spent time with Him, hearing His concerns, His desires, and that bigened up our prayers. It, it made them, uh, we were praying the things after God's own heart. So when prayers flow out of time in God's word, uh, they're prayers that have been shaped by him. Uh, there's an intentional order to when we uh, have our personal devotions. As Christians, we're, we want to encourage one another to be people who keep a devotion. Uh, and we would say to someone, how's your time of Bible reading and prayer? Uh, there's an intentional order there. Uh, that our prayers should flow out of time spent with God. Uh, In God's word, we have not only a record of the things that God cares about, but also the things that God has promised to do in his work. And uh, when Daniel was reading Jeremiah, well, actually, Daniel would have been a a contemporary of Jeremiah. He he lived in Jerusalem at the time that Jeremiah was uh, serving there as, as a prophet speaking from God. Uh, And so we can't imagine that Daniel would have had the whole book of Jeremiah like we have today, but he may have had some of his letters. Uh, And uh, it's very likely that he was reading Jeremiah chapter 29. And have a read with me of these words that he might have been reading in his Bible time that morning. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promises concerning you 
to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore you and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place I deported you from. Well, Daniel spent time in the Word. He spent time in the Scriptures. He's become aware of God's amazing promises. Daniel had been in Babylon for 66 years when Darius came to power. And so what did Daniel do? Only four years to go. He didn't sit on his laurels. He didn't didn't presume in God. You know, often we as, uh, as Christians... We might call ourselves uh, Calvinistic in our, our view on God's sovereignty, on God has said something, so God will do it. You know, we don't need to interfere. If he said it, it will happen. Well, Daniel read God's word, and he didn't presume that it would just happen. No, he prayed. Because we need to understand, don't we, that God has ordained prayer to be such a significant part in how he works out his purposes in the world. When God promises something, he gives us the gift of prayer to lay claim to that promise, to to make it a reality in our lives. And so Daniel didn't presume, he got busy praying. But before we get to the contents of his prayer, I would love to just look quickly at the way that Daniel prayed. And that's really evident from verse 3. Daniel's prayer was a full-bodied prayer, a full-bodied activity. I'm not sure how you feel when someone stands up the front and invites you to please bow your heads as we pray. You might sit there thinking, I don't need to bow my head. I can sit here with my head high and my eyes open. God can hear me however I want to talk to him. Well, that is true. But how did Daniel pray? Let's let's have a little look. Verse 3. He turned his attention to the Lord his God. That is, he engaged his mind. Prayer is uh, an activity we do with our mind. You might talk out loud. I know many people who pray out loud. Uh, Others might pray quietly in their hearts to God. Well, Daniel turned his attention to God and sought him. He longed for him. He ached for him in prayer and petition. He also prayed with fasting. I'm not sure how you feel about fasting. We had a little discussion about fasting in our Bible study on Wednesday night. And one uh, member of our group said, yeah, I tried fasting, but I just thought about food so much. It was ridiculous. There's no point fasting because I never got to prayer. I was just so hungry all the time. And someone came up with a, a really helpful response. Uh, they said, look, I've only tried fasting once, uh, but what I found was that you had to push through the hunger to get to a point of weakness, a point of vulnerability. Uh, and in that place, God began to minister to me. And I think that's quite a profound answer. If you've never tried fasting, I think the scriptures speak about it enough for you to give it a go. Uh, We're not commanded in scripture to seek God in fasting, uh, but it is spoken of so often. And when Jesus spoke about 
fasting, what did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? He didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. When you fast, put oil on your head. Don't, look, don't uh, do it to show off to others. Uh, but I think it is a good discipline. Uh, and it's something that throughout the ages, the saints have practiced. And perhaps we might be impoverished for our, our lack of, of fasting. Well, not only did he fast, but Daniel also prayed in sackcloth and ashes. Now, what does a hessian bag and dirt on your head do for your prayer life, I wonder? I don't see many of us turning up to church with hessian bags on, unless you've got an undershirt on. Uh, but what, what is it about this physical act that helps Daniel as he seeks out his God? Well, the thing is, is that our physical posture affects our spiritual posture. Uh, that is, we're embodied souls, aren't we? And what we do with our body affects our souls and our, our hearts and our minds. Our, our senior minister here, Paul, he speaks often about seeking God on your knees in prayer. When you're on your knees to God in prayer, and I, I used to always think to myself, what does he mean by when you're on your knees in prayer? What sort of attitude is he talking about? And then I realized he actually literally means Bending your knees in prayer before God. And it's a very humbling place to be. It's one of my laments about removing the pews from church by the bridge is that there's nowhere to kneel anymore. I'm not sure if you've taken up the invitation to kneel uh, as we pray in church, but you'll find that the chair in front of you is a bit close. And if the person in front's not leaning forward, you're kind of right at their back. Uh, but I'm going to invite us at the end of our service tonight to kneel, if you're able, uh, before God in prayer. So maybe you might like to think about how you clear the ground in front of you uh, over the next few minutes. But our, heart post our physical posture does affect our heart posture. And Daniel knew that. And, uh, and so he came before God uh, in all these ways. All these physical activities are not techniques to make God hear your prayers more clearly, or guarantee better answers. Uh, rather, they are physical activities that will make you and I more attentive to God in prayer. So, uh, we've been very skeptical, I think, of ritualistic or perhaps religious um, activities like this, but perhaps it's been to our detriment. Uh, I, I don't know if any of you have ever tried coming to the 8 a.m. service here at church, it is different, uh, but there is great reverence amongst that service for God, a great awe of our great God. Well, if reverence in our posture is one thing that uh, we might have been missing, uh, well, Daniel certainly had reverence in posture, but he really had reverence for the one to whom he spoke. Uh, that is, Daniel knew that uh, in prayer, we are unholy people coming before a holy God. And so in prayer, we confess our sins. That's our third observation of Daniel's prayer. Let's have a look. It's most clear in these first verses that Daniel knew the God to whom he spoke in verse 4. He comes before him, and you'll notice the contrast. Ah, Lord, a, a sigh, a longing from the heart. Ah, Lord, great and awe-inspiring God. He knew who he was speaking to, the Holy One. The God who keeps his covenant, the God who is faithful to those who love him and keep his commands. Well, that is who you are, God. Verse 5 is who we are. 
We have sinned, says Daniel. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. Did you notice as Daniel confesses to God, he doesn't excuse it away. There's no buts. He owns his sin. He names it and he owns it. And I've got to ask, is naming and owning your sin before God a regular part of your prayer life? Do you regularly confess your sins to God? I've found over my years as a Christian that those people who are quickest to seek forgiveness from others, to say sorry, uh, who are quick to, to offer forgiveness to others, are those who are in a regular pattern of personal confession and repentance towards God. Often, though, we rush through repentance to get to the real business of prayer, don't we? We rush through that so we can get busy asking God all the things we need. But Daniel didn't rush, did he? Goodness, again and again, it's the overwhelming feature of this prayer that he is just confessing and pouring out his heart to God. We have not listened, he says. We have not obeyed. We have broken your laws. He names the sin and he owns it. Not a general catch-all sorry, but a, a real specific confession before God. I have little children, and uh, one of them is normally crying. And so when one of them's crying, uh, I go up to the other one, and I try and encourage them, or actually force them, to uh, say sorry. Not just sorry, but actually sorry for what? What is it that you're sorry for? I'm sorry for pushing you off the couch. Well, maybe we go one step further and say, why, are you, why did you push them off the couch? Uh, it gives a really good indication, doesn't it, of whether or not we know what we've done wrong if we can name it, own it, and claim it. Well, here's the amazing thing about Daniel's prayer. Is that if you've been reading through the last seven, what are we up to, eight chapters of Daniel, you're probably getting the impression that if there was one person who didn't really need to confess, it's Daniel. I mean, the guy was pretty good, right? Like, He didn't need to be confessing compromise. He was the one who didn't compromise in in chapter 1. He didn't eat the king's food like the rest. Uh, In chapter 3, no doubt Daniel was amongst all his friends who refused to turn away from God and bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Daniel was was a a great hero. He was a, a righteous man amongst the people. Well, Daniel knew in his heart of hearts that he, like all others, have turned away from God. Yes, we've got our mother to raise us, uh, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Daniel knows that and he owns it. Uh, He makes it clear in verse 20, doesn't he? Verse 20, he says, While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before Yahweh, he He knew that he had sin that he needed to claim. And so he owned that. But he also knew that he belonged to a people who had sinned. And he claimed that too. And isn't that remarkable? Because we live in a very individualistic age, don't we? Where we take responsibility for our own wrongdoings. But here's Daniel confessing the sins of the people to whom he belonged. The nation of Israel. He named it and he owned it all. 
not only did he do that as a representative, he was a leader amongst them, uh, but he puts himself right in amongst it. And, and I think it's right that we do the same. Uh, we've, we've noticed that recently in the, the church's uh, apology, repentance, confession, uh, about domestic violence that has been so prevalent uh, amongst the church. Uh, and it's right, you may not have been a perpetrator, you may uh, have nothing to do with it, but it's right that we confess and say sorry because we are a body of believers, we are a family, and we can own the sin of our people uh, and seek God's mercy. Uh, it's one step further, but this week I've been, I've been trying it out. I've been trying to seek the mercy of God on our nation in the way that we have discussed the same-sex marriage debate. I've been confessing the, the vitriolic comments that we've been making to one another, the, the anonymous hatred, uh, the way that we've antagonized the other side. I've been seeking God's mercy and seeking to confess that. Maybe you could give that a go. Maybe you might be a Daniel-like character in your world. You might seek uh, the mercy of God in your workplace, in your friendship group. Maybe you've been Daniel-like and been standing out, or maybe you've been ignorant and having, uh, haven't given it much thought. But perhaps as you think about confessing and repenting and pouring out your heart to God, you could do that uh, on behalf of others. It's a remarkable feature of this prayer of Daniel's. Well, Daniel owned his own shame. Uh, he also owned the shame of his people, but he also knew that he was doing what the scriptures encouraged him to do. Uh, a long time before this, King Solomon had made the temple, the temple that Daniel longed to go back and see, uh, the temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the, the Babylonian king. Well, when Solomon made that temple and he dedicated it, uh, he prayed this prayer. He prayed a prayer that said, When your people sin against you and you deport them from this land, you send them away. When they turn their hearts back to you and pray towards this place, Will you hear from heaven, God? This was Solomon's prayer. Will you hear from heaven? Will you answer? And will you restore them to the land? Do you remember when Daniel got caught praying in chapter 6 of Daniel? When Darius said, no prayers except to me. Where did Daniel get caught praying? In his upper room, with his window open, facing towards Jerusalem. Daniel was doing what God's word had exhorted him to do. And he also would have known God's answer to Solomon on that day. There was a prophetic answer of God's answer to Solomon's prayer. It's a bit of a memory verse. You might have heard it before. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. It's above me. And if my people, God said, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That was God's wonderful promise way back when the temple was dedicated. That was what Daniel was laying claim to this day. And that's our fourth and final observation about Daniel's prayer. That in prayer, we lay claim to the promises of God. We want to pray big prayers, don't we? We want to pray big things that get big answers. Well, if we want to pray big prayers then make sure you familiarize yourself with the things God has promised. 
with the interests that God has expressed in the Scriptures. We do spend a lot of time praying little prayers. And it's not wrong that we do that. Prayers for health, prayers for our, our, our workplace, our presentations, our, our anxieties. They're good things. But if we want to pray the big prayers where we get the big answers, know the promises of God and know the things that God is into. Uh, most of God's promises, it's a good sort of litmus test for, for knowing if you're praying in line with God's intentions, is that God is on about glorifying His name. Uh, about him being exalted and honored. And you really get that in the last paragraph of Daniel's prayer. Verses 17 to 19. You see the, the emphasis of Daniel's prayer. He prays, Lord, for the Lord's sake, he prays, may you restore your desolate sanctuary, verse 17. He says, we do not uh, present our petitions based on our righteousness, but your abundant compassion. Lord, hear, Lord, forgive. For, the sa- for your own sake, God, do not delay. Why? Because this city and your people bear your name. He prays with great confidence. He prays with great boldness. Those, those prayers, he's, al- he's almost giving imperatives, orders to God. Hear, forgive, listen, act. Do not delay. But the great thing that he's seeking is the glory of God. And I wonder, if God answered all your prayers in the last 48 hours, I wonder whose name would be glorified. It's a good test, isn't it? Who will be getting glorified if these prayers get answered? We want to pray big prayers, lay claim to the promises of God, and seek the glory of God's name. So Daniel's prayers were prompted by the Word of God, They were whole-bodied activity. They were confessing his sins and the sins of his people. And he was laying claim to the promises of God. Well, Daniel got uh, prayed a big prayer. And Daniel got a very big answer. Daniel was asking that the temple in Jerusalem be restored. That temple worship, the, the altar, the sacrifices could be renewed. Daniel was seeking the restoration of God's people to God's place. And God did plan to restore his people to his place, but he planned something far bigger, far greater than Daniel could imagine. Now have a look at what God was promising to do in verse 24. Seventy weeks or seventy sevens are decreed, said God, about your people and your holy city. Here's God's great plans for restoration. To bring rebellion to an end. To put a stop to sin. To wipe away iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. How would God bring this about? Or when would God bring this about? Well, verse 26 indicates that it wouldn't just be enough that God's people would spend 70 years in exile. That would not be enough to bring about an end to sin. That wouldn't wipe away all iniquity, just a period out of the land. That wouldn't bring in everlasting righteousness. No, what would have to happen? Verse 26, the Messiah would have to be cut off and have nothing. Verse 27 speaks about an abomination of desolation that would have to happen before this would take place. Well, as we thought about last week, the Acts of Antiochus Epiphanes, 
setting up a, an idol to Zeus and sacrificing a pig on the Jewish altar, well, that was an abomination, wasn't it? But there was nothing in history more abominable than God the Son, the Son of the living God, being put to death at the hands of his own people and the rulers of uh, the occupying rulers of the land. Uh, it was through Jesus, through his death, that these wonderful plans for God's restoration came about. A stop to sin, wiping away our sin, everlasting righteousness. And brothers and sisters, there is a lot that is confusing in these verses, but there are some things that are very clear. And that which is most clear is that in the big scheme of things, in God's big purposes, that that was his great plan for restoration. And that is what we know in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why we can come before God and we can confess our sins. We can pour out our wrongdoings to God with confidence. Because you know, don't you, that in Jesus, you have had your sins put to an end. In Jesus, you've had your iniquities wiped away. In Jesus, you've been offered everlasting righteousness. And so Daniel's prayers were big prayers. God gave him big answers. And Daniel's prayers were shaped by the word of God. Uh, the prayers that I prayed for my auntie when I was 15 years old about winning a rowing race and, uh, and her winning her battle with cancer were answered by God in a way that was far bigger and far more restorative than I ever could have imagined. I didn't win my races, but I was given restoration. Around that time in my life, I became a Christian. I was given the great hope of restored relationship with God. My auntie lost her life, but she saved her soul in that time. She, she committed herself to God. She became a Christian, and I know where she is. She is restored. She is living and enjoying the gift of everlasting righteousness with Jesus. And that is God's great answer to all our prayers. The scriptures say all God's promises are yes, find their fulfillment, their amen in Jesus Christ. And so as we pray big prayers, brothers and sisters, uh, our desire is that the Lord Jesus be glorified and honored. Uh, and that those prayers find their shape around him being uh, exalted and us finding our restoration in him. We're going to finish our time here by actually coming before God because you can come with God in confidence, uh, repenting of your sin, confessing your sin to God. Uh, like Daniel did, he spent some time doing that. So I'm going to give you some time to do that. I'm going to give you uh, two minutes to search your heart, to name and own your sins before God. And then we're going to pray a, a, a confession, a, a, a prayer of confession before God together, a responsive confession. And then after that, we're going to have a time where you can lead us in open prayer. Uh, however you would like, if you want to stand where you are and lead us, or if you want to come to the front, you can do that as well. Like I said, I'm going to invite you to kneel. If you would, if you're able, or if you'd like to, I'll invite you to do that. And we're going to confess our sins and then pray together.